So the big question is this, how are real estate investors who don't have a ton of free time, don't have access to off-market deals, and didn't start life on third base, how do we grow a real estate business conservatively to support our families, finally leave the corporate rat race and build a legacy? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Ed Matthews, and this is Real Estate Underground. Hey, everybody, Ed Matthews here with uh, Real Estate Underground. Thank you for joining us today. With me is my usual partner in crime, Mr. Richard Brown. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, Big Ed. How are you today? I am good. I'm sitting here admiring that fancy pink shirt you have on, and you're looking the pretty- only color in my wardrobe. <laughs> so obviously, Rich has plans for later on today because it's Friday afternoon here at CT Rio Central. So with us is Jason Courtney. Jason, welcome to the show, and thank you very much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this conversation for quite some time, so it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you. So Jason, you and I got to know each other a week or two ago, but I've known you by reputation for quite some time. For those that don't know your name, you want to tell us who you are and what you do for a living? My name is Jason Courtney, and I currently help people retire rich. Music to our ears. Yeah. Sometimes people think that real estate's a get-rich-quick scheme, and it can be, but it's very rare. You have to do the work, but the beauty of real estate is you can work your rear end off for a few years and coast for the rest of your life. And I don't know any other businesses that provide something like that, and I've tried many, and we'll get into some of those today, I'm sure, sure uh, but I can tell you where I've landed, and I have zero desire to be anywhere else, so... Yeah, you're talking to two guys whose life's passion is real estate and buying crappy buildings from landlords and property owners who are struggling and making them beautiful and, and bringing in new residents or new buyers to enjoy them. So I think we're all on the awesome. same there. So in terms of your business, right? I mean, I know you've been at this for a while. You have a unique perspective in terms of how you approach the market. You want to talk us through your specific business and how you have built your revenue and your wealth? Actually, before we go there, hey, Jason, why don't you tell us what got you into real estate? And then we'll follow up with uh, Ed's question about the business you built. All right. Sure. Yeah. So I got into real estate because my family business was a custom home building business. So as a kid, I grew up cleaning up job sites that my dad was building a house and I would go sweep it up and pick up all the cut lumber and you know, I think my dad paid me like a dollar twenty-five, and I thought I was rich. You know, so <laughs> but it just was in my nature to be involved in some sort of real estate from a family perspective. But then I got myself in some trouble, and I wound up in jail. It seemed like every single weekend, I had a bail bondsman in Lake of the Ozarks and one in St. Louis, depending on where I got arrested that weekend. You know, and my life just kind of fell apart. And so at that time I was doing drugs and stuff like that. I was, as an entrepreneur, I was selling drugs. One of my runners ran off with a bunch of pot that we were selling. And I got myself in a bit of a situation that I couldn't get myself out of without committing some crimes that wound me up in prison. And so at age 18, I was facing five life sentences for crimes that I didn't physically commit, but I was being convicted as the ringleader because I was the dealer and my friends that committed these crimes to help regroup the uh, money that was stolen from me, put me in a really difficult situation. I didn't know what to do. And I remember hearing my dad ask my attorney, how much money is it going to take to keep my son out of prison? 
And my attorney said, no amount of money. And when I heard that, something just broke in me. I don't even know how to explain what happened to me at that moment, but I knew that I was in big trouble. And so I decided I'm going to turn my dad, bailed me out of county jail while I was waiting to be charged with these crimes. And I turned myself into a treatment center. Actually, it was ironic, really, but my first daughter was born at the same time this was all going on. And I remember holding her and walking down to weigh her and thinking, this poor kid is screwed. I'm a drug addict or mom's a drug addict. And I think I'm probably on my way to prison and I got to do something. This kid needs somebody. And her mom's still on a drunken stupor today. So thank God I ended up getting my act together, which we'll talk about later. But I wound up going to prison. I turned myself into a treatment center. I learned a little bit about how to live life on life's terms through a 12-step program. And I realized that my entire life was a lie. And so my attorney says, you know, Jason, you didn't commit any of these crimes and you weren't even there when these things happened. We could probably get you off if you were to lie on the stand. And I had just had this, what I like to call a come to Jesus meeting on how my life was this big lie. And so I told my attorney, I did these things. I'm guilty. Get me the best deal that you can and I'll deal with it. Anyway, she said, well, you're going to serve at least a 10 year sentence. So I'm thinking, Okay, well, and she said, you'll serve three years before you get out or get a chance for parole. And I remember thinking, well, Mike Tyson was down for three years and he seemed like he got out pretty quick. So, all right, <laughs> three years, maybe it's not the end of the world. So anyway, this is just kind of a little funny story. I agreed to that. I agreed to the plea in court, getting ready to, uh, they're taking me away. And as the judge is calling out my sentences, he says that I'm being convicted of, I'm getting three 10-year sentences, three three-year sentences, a five-year sentence, a seven-year sentence. I'm doing this math in my head, and I'm thinking, I thought my attorney said I was only going to do 10 years. That was 50 years. Did he just say 50 years? I didn't know what concurrent and consecutive meant at the time. I was only 20 years. I wasn't even 20. Oh, no, I was 20 when I went in. But anyway, 10 years was the largest sentence that I got. And so that's what I served. I was in prison for five years, got out, did five years on parole. And I got out in 2000 and started. My dad said, listen, you're no longer pounding nails on the cruise. I want you to help design and sell these custom homes to our clients. So I thought, wow, I, I didn't think I could do something like that. But I guess if you can sell drugs, you can pretty much sell anything. And so right. my dad even told me one time, he says, Jason, my favorite employees to hire are recovering alcoholics because you know what they do? They trade one addiction for another and they become right. workaholics. And if I'm their employer, I like that. So I never really forgot that. I thought that was pretty clever, right? It's like in our business, if you're going to do door knocking, you hire Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses, right? Because they're exactly. the best. So I just thought that was kind of cool that my dad thought about alcoholics trading one addiction for another. Right. But ultimately, I get out of prison and thank goodness my dad was willing to employ me because getting out of prison with the rap sheet that I had, I couldn't get a job at 7-Eleven probably back then. Now you probably can't, I don't know, but that was in 2000. 
So I went in 95, got out in 2000. So I'm working for my dad. I became the top salesperson in the first six months. I sold twice as many homes as all six other salespeople on the floor. And so my dad couldn't believe it. He was like, man, who is this kid? You know, and I do want to share one other thing, if I may, about something that my dad taught me. He put me in an office that was above a bank and there was no walk-in traffic because no one knew where we were. So it was always cold calling. His other office had a big display home and a log cabin that they built if someone wanted to custom build a log cabin and people would drive by and just walk in. So my dad says to me, hey, I want you to grab the salesperson that you're replacing, look at all their files, call them all up and ask them why they didn't buy from us and see if you can get them back in and help them design a house and sell it. And I want you to schedule an appointment for every day of the week. And so I said, okay. And I called all those people and I did okay. I probably had four or five appointments scheduled a week. And then I ran out of people to call and talk to. And he said, well, why don't you just open up the, back then it was the white pages and pick a letter and just start calling people and ask them if they want to build a custom home and start booking appointments. That's what I did. And I booked two to three appointments a day, every single day for three months out. You know, and my dad couldn't believe it, but I'm thinking, well, that's what you told me to do. That's what I did. So I was so naive and my dad played on my ignorance and just told me, because I'm good at executing. If you tell me what to do, I'll get it done. I may not have the freshest and newest ideas, but I can execute. Two months later, I had my very first sales meeting where I had to be in the same room with the other six salespeople, and they could not believe what my dad had produced. My dad kind of kept me away from them because he didn't want me to listen to all the negative talk that they had. So those guys were lucky to have one appointment a week, but I didn't know that. I thought all of us were booking two or three appointments a day every week. So my dad did play this trick on me that has been one of the most valuable lessons that I still think about today is that head trash and negative people around you can keep you from succeeding so easily, you know, so easily. And who you surround yourself with and the things you think are so, so important. Anyway, I'm getting kind of out in the weeds here. I just thought that was an excellent analogy of that. If you don't have the right mindset and if you listen to that, I could trust my dad. He was the top sales guy there forever. I knew whatever he said was probably good. Right. I just did it. And so even with my coaching students, I'm like, why did you ask me to coach you if you're not going to do what I say? Right. Yeah. But you just dropped a handful of really important points. And I'm a firm believer in all of them. One is you are the sum total of the people you surround yourself with. And state of mind is absolutely critical to your success. And that's a choice, right? Those two things are choices. And you're not saying, and I'm not saying, get rid of your friends. But what I am saying is pay attention who you listen to. Is it the people that lift you up or the people that tear you down? And they're not doing it on purpose. In a lot of cases, those people are telling you that to protect you. Oh, it's harder than it looks. Are you really sure you want to do that? I had relatives told me, and I won't name because I'm pretty sure one of them is probably listening, told me I was out of my ever-loving mind, and those were not the words he used, to leave a high-paying technology job and start doing this. And so that person in my life meant well. But the fact is, is that had I listened to that person, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. You wouldn't be doing what you've done. You wouldn't have accomplished all those great things right out of prison. Imagine if you had listened to them and where your head would have been had you not succeeded pretty early on when you were back into the world. Yeah, I'm super grateful for my dad's belief in me. 
our personal relationship was terrible. And I don't admire my father much as a father. I thought he was a terrible father, but he was an excellent businessman. Yeah. Um, but in his last years, my dad and I's relationship could not have been more mended and better than ever before. And uh, one of the things I forgot to mention while I was in prison is somebody from the outside came in and shared the message of Jesus Christ with me in a way I had never, ever heard before. I feel like people told me about Jesus, you know, like, or I kind of knew. Right. My mom drugged me to church every now and then. Right. But something changed in me when I heard it this time that the creator of the world wanted to be my friend. And all I had to do was say, okay, and acknowledge the fact that I was an idiot and needed a savior. Right. And so that was the most pivotal thing for me. When I first got locked up, you know, it's easy to get a Bible that are everywhere. Sure. I was bored. I had nothing to read. I read that Bible cover to cover probably three times. It meant almost nothing to me. In fact, going through the gospels aggravated me because I thought, didn't I just read all this? In the last time? But it wasn't until after I heard about Jesus. So I knew that God was real because I was going through this whole 12 step program thing. Right. My life started to change because they asked me to believe in a power greater than myself. And I thought, shoot, that's easy. I don't think I'm that great. <laughs> you know. But ultimately, no one shared with me what Jesus was all the who he was and why he came and all this stuff. And everything clicked for me at that moment. And I had no idea what I was going to embark on then, but my life changed forever in that moment. And everything has just worked out really well for me since. That's I had a life that I say, you want my life, you can have it. Look what I did with it. I wound up right. in prison. <laughs> yeah, but look where you are now. And the thing is, is that I think, and one of the things that a lot of folks struggle with when they're getting started in this business or any business for that matter, is belief. They need yes. to believe in themselves and they need to know that someone else believes in them, whether it's their relationship with God or their relationship with their parents or their family or friends or whatever. But you need to know that someone has your back. And when you do, it's pretty profound in terms of how it affects your overall state of mind. You said something like, I'm not telling you to get rid of your friends. Maybe you can't say that because it's your podcast, but I would say you probably do need to get rid of some of your friends because when I got out of prison, all my old friends were ready to party it up and man, you're out. Let's go get wasted. Let's do this and that. And those guys, if I would have chose to do that now, I'm not judging them. I love those guys even to this day. In fact, I'm this chief center, like Paul says, right? So I'm not judging those guys at all, but if I would have, decided to follow that path, I probably would have wound up eventually back in prison and had a miserable life and so on. And so I had to keep those friends at a distance. Yeah. And I used to surround myself with people I thought I was better than. I don't know how to explain what I'm saying there, but I learned that I like being the dumb guy in the room. Totally. I want to surround myself with the most brilliant people I can find now. And that's another game changer, right? Another little nugget. Yeah, to this day, I feel like if I walk into the conference room and my team's sitting there and I'm the smartest person in the room, we're all in a lot of trouble. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. So anyway, lots of, lots of little nuggets there, I think. So tell us about your business, what you're doing, how you got oh, there. Sure. So I went through the custom home building thing with my dad. In 2008, the market started to tank. And I was telling Ed that I went on this freedom fighting mission, like what's going on with the market? How can I fix it? 
And I realized that foreclosures is what was killing the market back then. So I dove into pre-foreclosure stuff, trying to stop foreclosures. A lot of it was loan modifications and short sales. And it was such a big problem, as we all know now, that I was doing 75 to 100 deals at a time. I had the largest short sale negotiation company in St. Louis. In a year, I was the biggest guy because no one else was really doing it in 2009. I was kind of on the front lines of that stuff. Anyway, that short sale negotiation company became a feeder for my flipping business. So my partner and I have flipped just under 300 houses from 2009 to 2014. And I personally did just over a hundred of those. So I was the GC on all of them. So I had probably 10 projects going on at all times. So because of my custom home building background, I already had all the contractors. I had all the trades were in my pocket. I mean, the flipping business was just a natural transition and we made a lot of money. We were making half a million dollars a year apiece. Things were going fantastic. But at some point I realized that we were only as good as our next deal. And my wife was saying, am I ever going to see you again? (laughs) She's fond of you, right? Oh man, it was, everything was great. We were making a lot of money, but my wife is not a material person. She wants to spend time with me. And I have one of my coaches, I was complaining, you know, my wife just keeps trying to hold me back, blah, blah, blah. He sat me down and he said, let me get this straight. Your wife wants to spend time with you and begs you to be with her. And that aggravates you. Like what's wrong with you, boy? And I just remember come back to us, right? Yeah. What is wrong with me? He is so right. And my wife is beautiful. How I got her to say yes, I have no idea. But I'm a good sales guy, I guess, right? Clearly, yeah. Anyway, I had no life, really, is what was happening. And so at the same time, in 2014, my father's custom home building business was tanking. There was some bad business. I had left that business uh, in 2008. And so they asked me to come back and help them get them back on their feet. So I moved my short sale negotiation company into their office and got back on the sales floor, started helping them, got them kind of out of hot water and got them running a well again. And in the process of doing that, I hired a couple to come in and GC all the properties that I was GCing. And they ended up ripping my partner and I off for a pretty significant amount of money. Not enough to bankrupt us, but it just hurt, you know, and we trusted these people. So it was just a bad, bad thing. And my partner was more of the, I'm kind of the rainmaker and he was more of the detail guy. So he handled all the paperwork, dealt with our negotiators, dealt with the banks when necessary. He did all of that stuff. And uh, I brought the business in and I managed most of the flips. So that's kind of what we did. So what happened, I think when all that, I just sat there and I thought to myself, do I really want to get back into the flipping business knowing that I'm going to get consumed and probably get divorced? Or can I maybe, maybe what do I need to do 50 properties a year for? Why don't I just do five or 10, you know? And so I started thinking about that, but what happened at this stage of the game, and you guys know this, everyone started paying way too much for the properties before the, you you know, so you couldn't buy anything. And you know, you went from making 50 to 80 grand a property down to like 15 to 30. Not that that's chump change. I think it's great to make that kind of money on a deal, but for me, I expected bigger things. Right. And it's a lot of turn when the business changes like that, right? Oh, you got to turn a lot of projects to make the same money. Yeah. And those projects lasted for a whole nother year. Like I was still cleaning up this mess that these two people created for our company for probably a year and a half. 
but we did it. We got it done. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to continue in my father's business. And I, so I told my dad and my brother, I said, listen, I have no desire to be an employee of this company. Either I get ownership or I'm going back to doing what I'm doing. So we agreed to an ownership split, a third, a third, a third, and things were going fantastic. And so then they got amnesia about our agreement. (laughs) So unfortunately the partnership dissolved. I gave up all my shares because my relationship with my brother was more important than the money to me. And my brother kind of needed that business. I didn't need it. So I was just like, here, Joe, you can have it. So I, I had this horrible split though. It was really one of the toughest times in my life for me mentally. It was tougher than prison because this was my own family. I'm thinking, how is this happening? They know I'm the one that brings in the bacon, right? You think that would be pretty important. And they've had me come back twice and bail them out because they couldn't get salespeople to promote their business well enough to make a profit. So anyway, it was extremely confusing to me. And so I actually had dinner with my oldest daughter and I said, Noel, I cannot believe this is happening. I can't make any sense of it. And she says to me, dad, just believe it. It's happening. Right. And I remember thinking, here we go again, out of the mouths of babes, right? And this, this wisdom that just came out of this kid's mouth, like it didn't matter that I couldn't figure it out. It was happening right. no matter what I thought of it, right? right on. And so she shifted me at that moment. And this is the same kid I'm holding, walking down to weigh her when I said, you know what, I got to get my life together. I turned myself into a treatment center right after that. And to this day, I haven't used alcohol or drugs since. So Congratulations. that's fantastic. Kudos, Kudos to you. Yeah. And it, it sounds like you've done a pretty good job with Noelle too. Oh, she's amazing. She's becoming a very well-known makeup artist for the celebrities. Nice. And so I was not the greatest encourager when it came to makeup. I'm like, honey, if you're going to do hair and makeup, that's like what happens when you drop out of high school. You just kind of default to that stuff. And she's just so stubborn. She had to prove me wrong. And she's doing six figures doing makeup. And I'm like, gosh, she's got her own line of products. I'm like, kid, you are, I love her, man. That's she awesome. is something. Yeah. So anyway, I realized quickly when I started realizing that people were paying too much for the houses before we could put any uh, products in them. And I said to myself, I'm only as good as my next deal. I'm never going to be able to quit working. And so if I don't start building passive income somehow, and I didn't know what passive income really was at the time, I hadn't thought about it much. My dad always produced a product, sold it, produced a product, sold it. And that was just, that's how my flipping business was, you know? Same. Same as ours. But there was a plumber. His name was John Cook. And uh, one day I called John Cook to get him to go bid on one of my jobs. He says, Jason, I don't do plumbing anymore. I said, what? Why not? He says, dude, I'm retired. I'm like, well, where are you? He says, I'm in the Bahamas. I said, what are you doing there? He said, I live here now. And I said, well, how did you do that? And he says, well, Jason, I've had rental property for 30 years and it's all free and clear. And so I just sit back and collect checks and I'm spending the rest of my life with my wife traveling the world. I'm going wherever I want, bought a sailboat, did all this. And I'm thinking, and John, the plumber, you would never know. I mean, his trucks were beat up. He lived in a house behind our office. It wasn't that impressive, but he did it right. Yep. And then I saw my dad who was also only as good as his next deal. And I thought, I want John Cook's life. I don't want my dad's life. So then, then I had a bad head trash and my dad had a four family flat that he had to go down there and knock on the door and collect rent and 
when they try to slam the door in his face, he'd stick his foot in there and wouldn't leave till he got his rent, you know, and I'm thinking, I don't want to be a landlord. That right. sounds terrible. <laughs> in my experience, from what I've seen, that's the last job I want. So I thought, well, how do I build a portfolio and not have to be a landlord? Is that even possible? And then I remembered all my experience with the banks and the banks collect a check every single month. They're protected by an asset and they don't do any maintenance or anything. If they, you don't pay, they take the house away. Right. And I thought to myself, how can I position myself as a bank? I got to figure out how to not have the tenants and toilets and collect this, just checks come in every single month so I can live like John Cook, plumber. I just want to be a plumber, you know? I enjoyed flipping houses, by the way, and, and I still absolutely love turning a turd into a diamond. It, it's one of my favorite things, but it's not the best use of my time anymore. And one of my coaches told me, Jason, a leader has the willpower to say no to things that he loves because they're not in his vision. And so I decided to get focused and to figure out what I want to do, because my dad told me, Jason, you can do one thing good, two things not so good, and three things not at all. So right. he stuck to custom home building. That was his niche. Mm -hmm. And so I said, all right, I got to stop flipping houses and doing short sales and all this stuff all over the place. My brain's going crazy. You know, the money was fantastic, but my life was miserable. Oh, there's a really big thing here. I forgot. So my brother and I's relationship fell apart. Okay. Yep. I invested all of my money. These people just ripped me off, invested all my money into the family business, turned my shares over to my brother. Now I'm flat broke. I have no money in the bank whatsoever. I don't know how I'm going to make my house payment because my daughter said, just believe it, dad. Right. So I was like, okay, you can have my shares. I'm out of here. Love you still, but I can't figure out why you're treating me this way. So I'm leaving. Right. And I'm sitting at home and I'm thinking, man, I am, what am I going to do? I don't know how I'm going to buy groceries even because my brother and I, while we were getting the business out of the hole, agreed to take cheap, these low salaries and put everything back into the company until we got it out of the hole. Yeah. So there was no money coming in, right? No income coming in. So I'm flat broke and I'm sitting here thinking, how can I buy properties and collect rent or something like that. So I started to learn about what are called lease purchases or lease options. And I thought, okay, one, what's the difference, right? So most people have no idea there's a difference between a lease option and a lease purchase, right? So in lease options, people were, this was all over the internet. I'm Googling how to make money in real estate with no money and lease op being the middleman, this and that, right? And so I learned enough about them to decide I don't really want to be the middleman on those transactions, even though there's a lot, very little risk. So I ran into a guy by the name of Marco Rebel and a guy by the name of Joe Crump. Yep. I bought both their courses. I think one was 297 and I can't remember what the other one was, but I borrowed the money from my mother-in-law, which was another crushed me. You know, my pride just went. Here, my mother-in-law has probably never made more than $40,000 a year as a school teacher. And, and my wife just asked her for money for groceries. And so I'm in my office. I'm going through this program. I just paid $297 for trying to learn how to buy real estate with none of my own money because I had no money. My house payment was due. And I was afraid to come out of my office and tell my wife what was really going on. So 
I dove into this course. And uh, the one thing that he said is the way that you succeed in real estate is to get on the phone and talk to people. The more people you talk to, they're all, you know, I had people hanging up on me and cussing me out. They knew I didn't know what I was talking about at first, but I could not give up. And so I decided that I was going to start buying the way that you buy properties with none of your own money is you buy them subject to their existing financing. You buy them on owner financing or you buy them on a combination of both. It's that easy. For me, I thought to myself, who's going to give me the deed to their house and let me take over their mortgage? I would never do that. So here comes the head trash, right? And my friends, dude, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. Is that even legal? This is the stuff I'm getting. And I'm thinking, gosh, dog, I just spent my last dollar on this program and this program's illegal and nobody's going to do it. It was crazy. So I thought to myself, I don't care if it's illegal. I know what prison's like. You know what I mean? I'm going for it. And the guy, the Joe Crump, super trustworthy guy, I ended up getting to meet him later on when I finally started doing deals and could afford a coach. But I didn't have any money to get a coach. And so I had to learn all this stuff on my own. And because I was scared to come out of my office, I just, I did. I studied the course inside and out and I started pounding the phones and I just started dealing with it. As long as you have it, it's legal. (laughs) It's, It's legal. Right. Yep. 100%. And there's a million reasons why people will give you the deed to their house and let you take over their mortgage. And I'm thinking no one would do that. So ultimately, I learned how to buy houses with none of my own money. And I would call up these landlords and say, hey, you know, can I buy your property? And they're like, well, we just want to rent it. And I said, well, what if it could still cash flow for you? And you no longer had to deal with the tenants anymore. I'll deal with them. And they're like, okay. So I get a couple people that would let me come to that property and talk to them. And first guy threw me out in about 15 minutes because he knew I was full of it. You know what I mean? But I was trying and I got out of my office, which felt great. And so my wife now she's borrowed 700 bucks from one of her girlfriends. And I'm like, oh, this is getting just too much for me to take. Most people would commit suicide at this point. You know what I mean? This is the stress of this, right? Right. And I knew that wasn't an option for me. I'm not one of those kind of guys, right? So I dealt with depression long before I knew Jesus. But once, you know, I figured out who he was, I just haven't dealt with it since. So I'm trying to buy these houses and I finally got someone to say yes. And I remember on my way there, I'm thinking, here's what I do. I buy properties with none of my own money. And then I put tenants in them and I act like their lender, not their landlord. I say, listen, I am not your landlord. Your toilet gets clogged. You call a plumber like I do, but my toilet gets clogged. I'm not coming to fix that toilet. If your roof leaks, call a roofer. Don't call me. And so I position myself as a lender. And so these are people who can't get a traditional mortgage. So they need someone like me. They have no idea how I bought the house. As far as they know, I own it free and clear. What I did is I buy the house from the seller or the landlord subject to its existing financing. If he had a mortgage on it, if he had any equity, I would put a second mortgage in place for his equity. And then I would take the title at closing. And so now I'm the homeowner. I make a payment to the bank. That loan is still in his name. And I'm added to that loan as a third party so that I'm notified if they sell the loan or whatever. I insure the building and I put the original owner as an additional insured on my policy in case there's a house burns down or whatever. And then I put this tenant in here that needs a lender because no bank will talk to him. And I charge him more than I'm paying. So now I've positioned myself as a lender. I bought this house with none of my own money. And here's how my first deal worked. This is, yeah, I'm going to say a God thing. Hopefully that's okay. So I get this guy to say yes. 
And I started marketing the house before I'd even seen it. And so I got this tenant and he's like, yeah, I'll take it. You know, I said, okay, you need to bring a down payment of 5,000 bucks with you. If you decide you like it, then put the earnest money down or the $5,000 down and your payment's going to be this much and we can move you in next week. So I go meet with the seller, get him to sign my contract. And then an hour later, I had an appointment with the tenant at the house. He came, gave me the 5,000 bucks, signed my paperwork. I had my first deal, but here's the caveat. I would not have been able to get home. I had no gas in my car. So like, I would not have been able to get home from that uh, appointment if that guy would have put that five grand down in cash because I wouldn't have been able to put gas in my car. I was going to call someone to come get me here. Back then there was no Uber, you know? So I'm like, Lord, please make this deal happen. And sure enough, man, the guy, the landlord signed the property over to me. An hour later, I got a check for five grand. He signed all my documents that Joe Crump gave me. I don't even know what they said. Thank God he didn't ask any questions. And so I had my first deal. So at this point, I was like, son of a biscuit. I just proved the concept. Now I just got to duplicate it over and over and over and over. That's what happened. That's my, I stumbled into this thing out of desperation and I closed that deal. And then 18 months later, I had 22 properties that I owned with none of my own money. Wow. And tenants were paying me more than I was paying to the bank. And sometimes they owned it free and clear. And I was just making a payment to them and sure. paying the taxes and insurance. But I'm making my payment. They're making payment. All of a sudden, my wife and I had gotten our expenses down. This was another really key. And I think your listeners should pay attention really closely here. Because we were broke, we were able to get our expenses down really, really low. Yeah. So I think our total expenses for the month were probably like, I want to say like 5,200, 5,700. I can't remember. My wife does all of that stuff, but they were low enough to where I really only had to close one or two deals a month to supplement my income. Right. And so then what happened is I was getting these down payments and I thought, shoot, some of these people got more than five grand. How about I start asking for 5% of the purchase price of the house instead of five grand? This guy gives me 30,000 bucks on a house that I bought subject to its existing financing. And I was like, this can't be real. It blew my mind. And here's the other thing, Joe's paperwork, that 30,000 bucks, guess what? It's not refundable. Right. You know how they get it back? They got to sell the house just like I do. Right. So I had one guy ask me for the down payment back. I said, man, I wish I could go to my bank and ask him for the down payment back. I have to list my house with an agent. I have to sell it. And then I get to keep the proceeds. You're in the same boat bro. Right. But in this particular case, the house hadn't gone up much in value. His wife left or something. He couldn't afford the house. I can't remember exactly all the details. So he didn't have time to list it, sell it. And so he just walked away from the 30 grand. And a week later, I filled it again, took another $30,000 and was making $700 a month cash flow on the thing. Wow. And so wow. these things were just happening. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm hundred percent sure they're legal now. Cause I've been through enough title companies closing the deals to where they were like, yeah, it's totally legal. Anyone that was in the title business in the eighties knows exactly what subject to is, you know what I mean? So anyway, I had not heard of subject to prior to all this stuff. And here's what I do. Here it is in a nutshell. I buy property. If somebody, I say, everyone's in one of three scenarios. They either own the house free and clear. They have a mortgage on the property with no equity or very little, or they have a mortgage and significant amount of equity. So they're all in one of those three situations. And so all I have to do is find out what the situation is. I can pay full price for the house. I don't do that anymore. 
But when I was starting, I did. I'm just a better negotiator now, I guess. But I can pay full price for the house. I put none of my own money in. I make them pay the closing cost when I close at the title company. And so I have $0 out of pocket. I'm collecting a 5 to 20% down payment from the tenant buyer is what we call them, right? Because they're not really tenants, they're buyers. So it's a sale with a delayed closing, right? That's the technical term, which is also the big difference between the lease purchase and a lease option, right? So a lease option, these people are leasing the house and they have the option to buy it, but you're still a landlord. The lease purchase, there's an agreed upon price. There's a purchase price in place. And the purchase document is the primary document. The only reason you have the lease is because they haven't closed yet. So it's a purchase with a delayed closing. Does that make sense? It does. People get those confused all the time. And there's a big difference between them. You can't, those words are not universal. Buying investment real estate is both thrilling and sometimes stressful. Without a lending expert by your side, most investors don't stand a chance. That's where CT Rea Funding comes in. CT Rea Funding was founded by investors to help investors just like you fund their deals. Whether you're buying a single family rehab, an apartment building, or really any investment property, our team will understand your deal and help you close quickly. Go to ctreiafunding.com or call us at 860-876-0572. So Jason, before we run out of time, I've just got to ask, sure. this sounds amazing. Is this something you teach? It is. So I got sucked into coaching. What happened is my coach, Joe Crump. So I started this business right with $297 course because I had no money. But once I started, I think I closed my third or fourth deal and I had like 35,000 in the bank, just like that. And so it cost me $10,000 to join Joe's coaching program. So I wrote him a check. I flew out to Atlanta, got to meet him, was super excited about all that. And so he did a video because he couldn't believe that I had built such a business on his $297 course because the $297 course, I guess, was like a feeder into this coaching program that I couldn't afford. So he does this video on me and and he's got such a good presence on YouTube. People just started finding me. They call me up and say, Hey Jason, I saw your video on YouTube. I'm like, I didn't even know I had a video on YouTube. And so I called Joe. I'm like, Hey, what's going on? You know, cause he's my coach. Now I can talk to him sort of Joe's pretty hands off in his coaching business. He's an expert. So anyway, I got people started asking me to coach him. And I was like, well, I don't know how to coach anybody. I'm clueless on how this works. And so I saw this video come through my Facebook account that said, Hey, if you ever thought about being a real estate coach, call this number. We'd love to train you, blah, blah, blah. So I called 20 grand, right? You got to pay 20 grand to do this course. And I'm thinking, shoot, I got the money now. It's, you know, I've got all this money in the bank. My wife knows about it though, right? So be careful where I'm spending it. So I said, listen, honey, I'm going to pay these guys 20 grand to teach me how to coach. And she's like, no, you're not. Why would you do that? How hard can it be to be a coach? I'm like, I don't know. So anyway, I got sucked into this thing and I tried to coach a couple of people and I failed miserably because I didn't know what I was doing. And so I paid the 20 grand, went through this training, and I finally learned how to coach people. I enjoy coaching one-on-one. And so as you guys know, that's extremely exhausting and you can only help so many people, right? So I thought, well, I could help 10 people probably. And so I built this coaching business where I helped them close their very first three deals. So I talk to the sellers, I help them put all the paperwork together and I help them find an attorney or a title company that will help them close the deal for them. I get them through their first three deals. I wanted my students to be successful. Mm -hmm. And I thought without a coach, I was lucky 
because I had a lot of experience with short sales and contracts and things like that. So I was able to BS my way through it, if that makes sense. But, you know, let me say this. I just took action because I was scared. I never read that paperwork before I got people to sign it. I just went there with it. And I said, here's where you sign. Here's where I sign. If they would have asked me questions about the paperwork, I probably would have been able to fumble through it a little bit. But I took action, and that's really what made the difference. And I want to say that because I think I noticed with my own students that if they don't do what it is that I tell them to do, they'll never be successful. If they do what I tell them to do, I will guarantee their success. It's really that easy. And so I, anyway, I started doing this one-on-one coaching. Well, this video just kept getting all this traffic. And so yeah, I had this waiting list of people that wanted me to coach. My coaches told me, cap yourself at 10 if you're going to be one-on-one coaching. And they totally said, don't do one-on-one coaching. That's foolish. You're never going to make any money coaching. You don't scale. They can't scale it. Yeah. And so I said, well, I'm not really concerned about making money on coaching. I mean, I'm financially free now. I just took a three-month vacation. I've never been able to do anything like that before. And I want to help other people do that. I didn't care about making money in coaching until I got wore out as a coach, right? So I decided I still want to help these people. So I built what's called my business in a box and you can get my business in a box for a thousand bucks, right? So if you go to uh, dealswithjason.com, they can go there and they can get that. Anyone that listens to your podcast, will give them 25% off. Yeah. So they can buy that course for a thousand bucks or with 25% discount with you guys. Everything they need to do this business is in there. I'm walking them through the entire process, everything that needs to happen in the order that it needs to happen, all the paperwork's there, everything they need to build a business just like mine. I was able to build a business with material like that. And I think some people can, but there's other people that need more training, right? And so what we're getting ready to launch, in fact, we're launching it, well, last week. So I shouldn't say we're getting ready to launch. We just started. I have three of my students that accompany me every week to talk to the people that have bought the business in a box that want additional coaching. Like they want to do some of that one-on-one stuff where we walk them through their deal. We help them find the title company that understands how these deals work. And then we talk to the seller for them if we need to. We'll pull the seller up on the call right there. I'll do the talking or one of my students will do the talking and we'll get the deal closed for them. And so after they've done a couple deals, right? Remember everyone's in one of three situations, right? And so once you figure that out and you get, don't think about anything other than finding out, do they own it free and clear? Do they have a mortgage? And if they do, do they have any significant equity? If you figure out those three things, we can structure lots of different deals. My favorite deals are, People have been in a house for 15 years on a 30-year note. So I'm taking over a 30-year note that's already got 15 years of interest paid on it, right? right? And then I put a second note in place for their equity that this doesn't happen all the time. That's due on sale when I sell it, right? So I'll secure their equity with a note, but I'm not making payments to them. What do you think that does to my cash flow? Takes it through the roof, right? Right. So now those are difficult because most people don't want their money just sitting there forever, right? So the best deal that I do is I'll amortize their equity over 30 years at 5% with a five-year balloon. Now, I want to be clear that balloons are for clowns. So you don't really want to get into balloons if you don't have to. And some people worry about balloons, but ultimately... You don't have to worry about them, right? So five years from now, if you haven't sold the house, you refinance it, you give them their money and you move on. I don't like refinancing properties because I like paying them. I want them free and clear. 
right now I write big checks to banks, but based on my projection in another seven years, I will write no more checks to banks. Do you know what that does to my cash flow? Huge jump. Roof. Not huge. This is like SpaceX, dude. This is skyrockets your <laughs> cash flow. And so you don't need that many properties to pull this off. I currently manage 26 of my own properties and I have another 50 that's part of an LLC that I'm a partner in. Mm-hmm. But here's what I'm doing. So I have three daughters and I don't want them to ever have to think about money. So I'm building three portfolios, one for each daughter. And after I've depreciated them, right? I'm not sure if your listeners understand appreciation, but 27 and a half years, you get to depreciate the asset. If I can ship that property to someone in my family, guess what I don't have to do? And guess what they don't have to do? Pay taxes. You got it. So they get to start depreciating that asset from the value, the value of that asset when I deed it to them. So they get to start the 27 and a half years all over again. Now, here's what I've told two of my daughters. One of them is only eight. She doesn't get it. Even though I'm going to deed these properties to you, that's my money. You don't get it until you might be able to depreciate it on your taxes, but I get the cash flow until I die. You understand? I like using the shack thing on, right? I'm rich. You're not rich. Right. right? right. <laughs> You'll be rich after I'm gone. Right now, you need to do something. What is going to get a job? Right. And here's something that I teach, and, and hopefully this makes sense. I sometimes say these things as if they're super easy and I miss things, but I built this portfolio of 26 properties. And I'm building another portfolio. This is what I teach my students to do of another, however many, doesn't matter. This second portfolio's only purpose is to take all the cash flow and down payments and pay off the first, right? Mm-hmm. And then I'll sell these retail, get rid of them. I don't need them. The only purpose for the second portfolio is to accelerate the payoff on the first portfolio. Right. So instead of waiting 30 years to have your properties free and clear, you can do it in 10 right? Or 15 or 20, whatever your goals are. Right. So people say, oh, I'm too old to get started in this business. In five years, if you're aggressive and you do what you're supposed to, you could have 20 properties free and clear and cash flowing like crazy. Yep. Right. So anyway, for me, that's what I teach. I teach people, I've done the flipping, I've done the, a little bit of wholesaling, which I like actually. In fact, wholesalers grab my business and run to the hills, man, because right. they're so used to spending a fortune on marketing and doing multiple deals. Like most wholesalers retire in a year that buy my program. Instead of flipping them, they're holding them. Right. Right. And so let me share some more beautiful things about my business. Ultimately, you want these tenant buyers to do what they are supposed to and buy these houses, right? right? Very rarely do they. Life happens. They never repair their credit. You know, once they get a house and a car, what do they need credit for in some cases, right? So you wind up recycling some of these houses. Now, if they do buy one, guess what? You sold it at full price with no commissions, go buy another one. But when they don't buy it, you heard my story about the first $30,000 down I got, right? Right. Two weeks later, I got another $30,000 down. Let me tell you what else happened. That guy spent $60,000 finishing the basement. So I got the house back in better condition than it was when I sold it because he thought he owned it. So he was improving it and doing all this stuff to it. Right. So I don't get houses back that are trashed. The way that my leases go, they're three to five year leases, and you should probably do shorter now with the appreciation doing what it's doing. But if someone breaks the lease early, I have all the leverage. If they get to the three-year mark, you know, I have great relationships with all of my tenant buyers, and you want to maintain good relationships with them, right? 
But let's say they break the lease early and you say, we can't make the payments anymore, Jason. We got to move. I'm like, oh man, I thought you were going to pull this off and become a homeowner. And they're like, yeah, it's just not going to work out. I said, well, what are we going to do? Because you agreed to make 36 payments. And they're like, well, what do you mean? What are we going to do? I said, well, are you asking me to let you out of the lease? And they said, well, yeah, we can't make the payments anymore. So I always say, okay, here's what I'm going to do. You make sure that house is spotless. I mean, I want you to be able to eat off the floor in the laundry room uh, spotless. And then I'll start showing it to people and I'll get someone to take over your lease and I'll let you out. Okay. So the beauty of this is I'm showing the house in excellent condition, right? I'm not replacing carpet painting or doing, you're going to do that, Mr. Smith. If your kids beat up the wall in that bedroom, get it patched and painted. I'm going to start bringing people through. So I don't do repairs. I don't fix things. Now, there are times when someone just flies you the bird and leaves. But I've never to date spent more than $7,000 on cleaning up a property before I was able to fill it again. And in most cases, I've spent $0. And 40% of my properties come back to me in better condition than when I first sold them. Wow. Who would want this business? You know what I mean? The tenant buyers love you because no one else would help them right? They couldn't get a house without you. You're providing a service to the community that no one else can do. They've been turned down by every bank in town. They're so grateful they found you. And hopefully they're going to do what they say and they'll become a homeowner. And I don't care if they buy it and I don't care if they don't. Works for me either way. So Jason, this has been thoroughly enlightening and we've certainly enjoyed talking with you. Before we uh, call it a day, how can people get in touch with you if they want to learn more? Yeah. So there's three things that I'd love to share with your audience. One is dealswithjason.com. They can go there and they can buy the business for a thousand bucks. If they want more training, it's 10,000, right? To get one-on-one training with me personally and my students. We're going to give them 25% off no matter what they buy. Okay. So they have to mention your podcast or that they're connected with you guys in some way. Actually, you know what we'll do, Ed? I will send you a coupon code. Okay. Has your RIA or your podcast name in it. And that way we'll know exactly. And they'll automatically get it right when they hit the buy button. That's great. Thank you. So the software that we use to find these deals, which everybody uses, real estate agents use it, wholesalers use it. It's called Lead Machine Pro. And you can go to leadmachinepro.com. It costs a hundred bucks a month. And all it is, is a very simple drip system. So what we do is we buy lists or we pay a VA to scrape lists locally in the areas that we want to buy them. They throw the address and phone number into the lead machine and it does everything else for you. And I'm literally communicating with people on our calls in two minutes, two minutes. I'm on the phone with a seller trying to buy their house. Every single time we're on one of our webinars with students, we're closing deals, sometimes two or three. Right. So now we're closing them for them. It's not the students actually closing them, but they're their deals. The Lead Machine Pro is just a simple drip campaign that allows you to communicate with the seller right away. The objective, here's a problem some people have with the Lead Machine. They want to keep texting these people. Get them on the phone. We make money on the phone, not texting. So the text is just to only talk to people that want to work with you. That's the only reason that's all it is. The door opener. That's all it is. Right. So don't keep texting them. The millennials, man, they just like texting. They don't like leaving voicemails. I'm like, Hey, I want to save the whales too, but you got to stop and get on the phone. You know what I mean? But that's the problem with the lead machine. Now my 
personal email, which I don't know if I want everyone blowing up, but it's coachingwithjason at gmail.com. So if they want to reach out to me there, they can do that. I don't really have a place yet, Ed, where people are doing like discovery calls and stuff like that. But the way that we're structuring the coaching business now is I had a rule that I have to want to hang out with you if I'm going to coach you, you know? So I, I go through these questions to find out if I can even tolerate coaching. Right. Right. But the way that we're set up now, I don't have to tolerate them. They either do what we say and they succeed or they don't and they don't. And I no longer allow that to impact me because I used to. When my students were unsuccessful, I took it personal and it really depressed me a little bit. And I'm thinking, what am I doing wrong? I wasn't doing anything different. Just some people execute and some people don't. Yeah. And I hope they all do because I never imagined a life like this before. I literally can do whatever I want. As long as I keep my expenses down. Right. Now, when I started making a bunch of money, I bought a bunch of stuff I didn't need. Right. I own eight vehicles, three motorcycles. I have a really nice house, which is not in my name. The house is in my name, but the mortgage is not in my name. I bought it just like I bought every house. The house I currently live in is in someone else. The loan is in someone else's name, but the property is in my name. I own it. And I make the payments instead of a tenant buyer. So I currently live in, you know, and I can live in any house I own. I can just move wherever I want. And when I decide I'm getting ready to buy a house down in Florida, because that's where my wife wants to live, we're going to Airbnb it so that we can use it whenever we want. But ultimately we'll retire down there and I'm buying that house with none of my my own money. It's right on the, not on the beach. It's on what's called the sound, which is like a a break, I guess, between the beach, but it's on the water. It's a ranch. So I'm not, if I'm old and decrepit, I can still get around in it. You know what I mean? That's a good thing. Yeah. Right. So anyway, that's how people would get a hold of me. It would be dealswithjason.com. I'll get you a coupon code so that we can make sure all your people get those discounts. Sounds It'll good. be 25% off the 10 grand. It'll be 25% off the thousand and we'll make that available. Okay. Right? Fantastic. Awesome. And then if they want to reach out to me, they certainly can coaching with Jason at gmail.com and leadmachinepro.com. It's only a hundred bucks. I don't care what you're doing. You should be using it anyway, you know, cause it's cheap and the leads are free. Well, Jason, thank you so much, man. This has been great. Very informative. You've got an inspiring story. Continue to kick butt and take names. And thank you for making some time for us today. I really appreciate the offer, guys. We're going on this podcast journey, right? And you guys were one of the first people to take us up on the offer. So I really appreciate you giving us a shot to uh, talk to your people. Yeah. Yeah, And hey, now we've made friends. So that's it. It's awfully nice to meet you. And thank you very much for your time today and your wisdom and experience. You're welcome, guys. It was my pleasure. This has been the Real Estate Underground Podcast, a CTRIA presentation. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, and share this podcast with your friends. If there's a specific topic you want us to cover, post it in the comments. For more information on the Real Estate Underground Podcast or CTRIA, go to realestateundergroundpodcast.com or ctria.com. Until next time, happy investing.